Welcome trainers to the Tips for Treats Dog Training Podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Weininger, a CPD TKA that's going to help you along your training journey by diving into some of the learning theory and strategies that I and other pet professionals use to help people and their pups all over Houston. Whether you're an unbending dog owner, looking to mix up your existing training routine, or just want to know more about what it's like to work with dogs, there's something here for you. So on today's episode, I wanted to actually talk about something that comes up quite often when I'm out training, uh, meeting people, uh, other pet professionals, pet parents. Um, It's something that is very much ingrained in, I think, our culture, um, separate from just how we interact with dogs, but even how we interact with other people. Uh, And that is alpha theory, or in some cases, dominance theory. Uh, Either one, those are used kind of interchangeably in the industry, but generally both are in reference to the that general alpha wolf concept that, you know, you got to be in charge, you got to prove that you got to win the contest. um, You've got to assert your dominance repeatedly. And if you do that, that's going to give you the best behavior from your dog uh, long term. And the frustrating thing is that not only is that based on outdated information, but it's actually based on outdated information that pertains to wild wolves. Uh, And that's just really not something that is going to apply to dogs uh, and dog behavior. And we'll get into that a little bit more. But one of the first things to keep in mind going into this is that there are absolutely behaviors that if we go into it thinking about alpha theory, we could easily label those behaviors. It falls right into some of those boxes. Um, But then how you go about actually trying to change that behavior uh, is completely undone by that initial misconception. So the first thing I thought was important to talk about when uh, diving into this issue was the popularization of the idea in itself. First, obviously, it came from our understanding of wolves in the wild. And that is where the gentleman L. David Meech comes in. So Mr. Meech was a biologist in the 60s, 70s, and 80s that really got a lot of steam from his first book that he published in 1970 called The Wolf, Ecology and Behavior of an Endangered Species. It was in this book where he initially popularized the idea and where it most likely got most of its initial steam as far as becoming so ingrained in our popular culture uh, even today. So that book was published in 1970 and obviously time went on and Meech, like any good researcher, did continue to research wolves both in the wild and in captivity after that point. And actually in the 80s, it culminated in what ended up being a 25 year uh, commitment that he started where he would spend every summer observing wolves on this island on the north side of Canada. And so knowing that he is spending so much time with these wolves, uh, a special type of wolf that actually hadn't developed too much of a fear of humans. So he was actually able to get quite intimate with these wolves and spend plenty of time Um, you know, observing the rest of their behavior and getting a lot more information than he had gotten up to this point, researching wolves at Lake Superior and the Superior National Forest. And so by the time that the year 1999 has rolled around, uh, Meech has completely renewed his view of wolf behavior. Uh, He had up to that point spent roughly 13 summers observing those wolves. And what he concluded was, and I quote, 
that the typical wolf pack is a family, with the adult parents guiding the activities of the group in a division of labor system in which the female predominates primarily in such activities as pup care and defense, and the male primarily during foraging and food provisioning and the travels associated with them. Now, that's a quote from the abstract of his paper, Alpha Status, Dominance and Division of Labor in Wolf Packs. Like I said, that paper was published in 1999, but you can see that between his initial publishing in 1970 and 99, that there has been quite a bit of change in how he views these behaviors that he originally prescribed to the alpha pair of that pack, the alpha male and the alpha female. Now he views that alpha pair as more of a mother and father, as parents of the pack that are leading the pack as a result of being in those parental positions by itself. He also purported that while some of the behaviors that you would maybe attribute to an alpha pair had been observed in the wild, most of what we were attributing that those labels to had actually been observed on wolf packs that had been artificially brought together in captivity. You see, wolf behavior in captivity, among other wolves they're not related to, is a far cry from the behavior that you might uh, observe in the wild. And as a result, even Meech says that it might be fair to place those kinds of dominance labels on the type of behavior that we see in these packs in captivity just because this is likely how they would be arranging themselves if they were just left at will in these non-familial packs. It also doesn't seem to factor in the fact that in the wild, wolves uh, have puppies they age and then they leave the pack to form their own packs it's actually very rare for wolves to stay in their own pack beyond uh, perhaps maybe three years of age that's that's absolutely something that's very rare whereas wolves in captivity are largely kept together for years and years at a time with new wolves brought in and uh, wolves that have been there for a while taken out at various points which can all be very disruptive to uh, social behavior and in another one of his papers, Leadership in Wolf, Canis Lupus Packs, Meech also purports that it makes sense for these packs to have a visible leader when most of these packs are consisting of that breeding pair. Since the breeding pair is going to be the older or the oldest members that have been around the longest, it makes sense that the offspring of that breeding pair would follow their parents' initiatives, sometimes even as they aged and prepared to leave the pack. So where does that leave us? It's 2022 and yet we still have people claiming that alpha theory has a place in dog training, even though the gentleman who popularized it himself has spent the remainder of his career trying to get that original book off the racks completely. Well, first it's worth noting that while there's a lot to be gained from studying wolf behavior, and applying that to dog behavior, a one-to-one -one comparison is just not applicable. So just because it applies to wolves does not necessarily mean that it's going to apply to our domesticated dogs. Whether that's their biology or their psychology, it's just not the same. And we are still learning so much about our domesticated dog populations that it's really just not going to be fair to them to just loot them into this category with wolves and just assume that all that same information applies. There are some things that we can take away though, and 
wolf behavior is not so foreign from domesticated dog behavior that nothing is applicable. And so while the alpha theory neither applies to wolves nor domesticated dogs, some of those wolf behaviors in regards to the pack hierarchy do play a role, largely in reference to the breeding pair being the leaders of that pack. The breeding pair is you. You are the leader because you are the parent of your dog. And just like you might a child, you want to lead and raise your child in a way that is helpful and instructing them on how to make better decisions on their own. And so no, when your dog jumps on you, they're not trying to dominate you. Uh, when they sneak around your back and take food, uh, they're not subverting your authority. Them sleeping on your bed is not them claiming your throne or whatever your misconception about that situation might be. And just like we might see with unruly children, you just likely have not set clear enough boundaries with consistent enough consequences to show that there is a better alternative to whatever negative behavior that they are choosing to engage in. So for example, a dog is choosing to jump on the couch while you're on the couch in order to get more attention from you. They're not trying to subvert your authority or dominate you while you're on the couch. Really, they're just trying to get attention from you. You're on the couch. They're going to be on the couch to get the attention from you. Uh, it's a very simple equation in most of their minds. And so that being the case, our initial reaction is to discourage them being on the couch by forcing them off the couch, saying no or off, uh, and then going back to what we were doing. And what we see in a lot of cases is a dog then, without having a clear alternative, tries one more time to get onto the couch. They get onto the couch, you say off, no, you put them back down. Okay, that may discourage them for a little bit. You obviously don't want them up there, but they still want to be up there and they still want that attention from you. So then they may walk away, do another activity for a moment, but they come right back around and they try to get back on the couch again. You do the same thing that you were going to do and you might take that as this dog does not respect my authority. They're just constantly testing me. I've already made it clear in my mind that I don't want them on the couch. And so their repeated attempts to get on the couch is obviously me not having enough authority in this moment. When the reality is they've just not been shown a clear alternative. In that equation, the dog is trying to get attention from you and trying to relax with you while you're on the couch. And unless you've actually practiced, hey, while I'm on the couch, I want you to be doing this, they're going to assume and take that initiative as far as what they should be doing in that moment. And so an easy thing that a lot of people don't even attempt to try is encourage, hey, when I'm on the couch, this is where I want you to be. Here's your bed right here next to me. And I'm gonna create some practice opportunities so that I can make sure that it's very routine in your head that when I'm sitting here on the couch, it's perfectly okay for you to be there on the bed. I'll come to you to give you attention. You can sometimes even come to me without getting on the couch, I'll give you attention. But when you're actually on the couch, it may take away freedom and attention. So we're still going to do that same thing we were doing before where we were discouraging the getting on the couch. Uh, and if the dog does end up getting on the couch, I will be there to make sure that they get off the couch as soon as possible. But then in addition to that, I will then redirect them and reinforce that 
acceptable alternative so that rather than just spending time discouraging what I don't like, I'm also encouraging that alternative. And so you see how instead of assuming that the dog's trying to question my authority, I just need to teach them better as far as what it is exactly that I want them to do. And that's all for this week. Just remember that you can always find me at trickfortreattraining.com, on Instagram at trickfortreattraining, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash trickfortreattraining, all of those with the number four. You can find this podcast on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe, sign up for notifications, and leave me a rating as it really goes a long way in continuing to help me reach more people. And I always appreciate more feedback. Until you hear from me next time, I've been Stuart, you've been awesome, and thanks for listening. Thank you.